there was this man, um, Visaka. He was a merchant from uh, Rajagaha. And uh, he really uh, delighted in hearing uh, the discourses from the Buddha. He would often go when the Buddha was around to go uh, hear him and hear his words of wisdom and try to apply them. And um, so Visaka, one uh, evening, returned home after hearing a discourse from the Buddha. And uh, when he got to his uh, place, his wife was waiting for him, as she uh, did every evening, by the door. Uh, and usually they would uh, greet each other when uh, he arrived. But that evening, he just passed uh, by her and uh, went uh, straight to sit down to have his meal. She, she was wondering what was going on, but um, decided just to see how the evening would unfold. And so she served him uh, his meal and he ate silently. There was something uh, serious about him. And she waited. And, uh, at some point he told her, um, I've uh, heard uh, this discourse of the Master the, this evening and there was something Something happened. I was very deeply, deeply touched. And uh, I actually decided to uh, go forth and uh, follow the master and leave everything uh, behind. And so I, I want to uh, give you everything that I have, the, the business and, of course, the house. And I want you to, to have everything so you can uh, you know, take care of yourself. But I have to go and explore more this Dhamma. So she sat there for a little while and she said, hmm, I don't want any of of this stuff. I'll be going too. If you go, if you think there is something in it for you, I think there might be something in it for me too. And uh, he apparently he went to a monastery, but she went straight to the woods. She went to, uh, she went to practice uh, solitary uh, kind of hardcore practice. And she actually f uh, reached uh, full uh, liberation. Her name uh, is uh, Dhamma Dina. And the Buddha said she was the foremost amongst the nun uh, in teaching the Dhamma.
And one day uh, they met each other again. And in the Sutta you can read this conversation they have, this beautiful conversation. Uh, and it's all about Vedana, feeling tone. And it starts, uh, I think, some of the things at the beginning. He's, uh, he says, uh, he asks her, because he knows that uh, she has a profound understanding of the Dhamma. And he said, uh, friend, uh, tell me, what is, uh, what, the way he puts it is, what obsession gets uh, obsessed with pleasant feeling? And what obsession gets uh, obsessed with uh, unpleasant feeling? And what obsession gets obsessed with neutral feelings? And she says, um, passion, obsession gets obsessed with pleasant feeling. And resistance, obsession gets obsessed with unpleasant feeling. And ignorance, obsession get, uh, gets obsessed with uh, neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. And I was wondering why would they ever talk about feeling tone if they haven't seen each other for a while and all this has happened and they used to be very close. <laughs> so there must be something about this. Why? And they go on and on about this feeling tone. And I, one way I think of it is just that They just wanted to go to the essential, out of uh, a deep love for one another. Like, look, I know, I know you've gone to the end of this path. Tell me the most important thing. And look, I've, gone, I've done the job. Let me give you a little hint here of prime importance. So they have this exchange on feeling tone. So that's what I'd like to uh, uh, talk uh, to you about this uh, evening. And maybe we'll come back on the conversation between Dhammadina and uh, Visaka. And so, um, Just this Vedana, our feeling tone, just to name uh, what it is, is uh, with every uh, experience that we have, every contact that there is between, say, the eye and the visual object and consciousness, when they, these three comes together, there's this contact and there's this feeling tone that comes out uh, of this. It's the kind of the juice of life. I talked about this uh, some, maybe two weeks ago, in the talk about the aggregates, because it's one of the five aggregates, one of the five things that makes this experience of being moi, or you. Or, uh, um, and uh, it's what makes it, uh, this experience of being alive, uh, very vivid. Actually, they have the same root, apparently, Vedana, vivid, uh, linked to vivre, to be alive. 
if there wasn't this, life would be kind of uh, dull, not vibrant, not... Uh, There would be a richness that wouldn't be there. It would be a, a whole other realm, a whole other experience altogether. Um, so this feeling tone is constantly present because there is con constant contact happening. We have six senses, the five uh, outer senses, we could say, and the mind. And there, there's constantly contact going on. It's constantly being impinged on. So there's this restlessness of feeling tone always going on. Uh, and it drives a lot of our lives. Uh, it has a very important uh, place in the teaching. Uh, there's this teaching of codependent arising that I won't get too much into tonight, but the brief version would be this. I find myself here, it's kind of a result. There is this body, these six senses, I cannot not have them. They're there, it's there, it's a given. Yeah? So there's this body, these senses, and there's constantly a contact and a feeling tone. This is the part that is a given, no choice about it. And then there's another bit that in this wheel of how suffering uh, happens, is the half of the wheel where it's a, it's a no choice part of the wheel. You get this. And then there's a whole other part of the wheel where it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, you could say, almost optional. It doesn't <laughs> appear to us like this <laughs> right now, but it's, it's, uh, it's a thing we can work with. And, it's, uh, the, and the, 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 the break point is feeling tone. So there's this contact and there's a pleasantness that arises, an unpleasantness or a neither uh, nor one or the other. And I think this, and seeing if you're an experience, if it's just pleasant, unpleasant, in, or neutral, or if there's a whole range from slightly pleasant to extremely pleasant, and, uh, and uh, slightly unpleasant to very unpleasant. See if it's like this uh, for you. But at this point, that's where Dhammadina says, what gets obsessed with the, the pleasant feeling tone and the unpleasant feeling tone. So there's a kind of, a, we could say, standardized uh, reaction that we have uh, as unwise being. Yeah. By the way, there's another place also where uh, this feeling tone is kind of at the middle point. Uh, and you see this when you look at the Satipatthana Sutta where there's a, the study of mind and body, and it seems to me like the feeling tone is right at the juncture of the two. It's the body is something we can be aware of, and the mind and the feeling tone, which is the second foundation, is, is the link between body and the mind states and the study of mind. So it's another place where it meets uh, in the middle there. And so let's talk maybe a little bit about this uh, standardized uh, uh, reaction. So when there is um, this pleasant feeling, we want to, uh, if it uh, 
happens without mindfulness, without, uh, it's just the habitual reaction is to grasp, cling, want more of, this is the pleasant, start strategizing to keep, uh, uh, to preserve, protect, defend, and all this way. So this is with any, it can be with the eye, ear, uh, tongue, taste, uh, smell, uh, and the mind, and the body. So if you think of it in terms of um, uh, maybe uh, it happens in present time. You want to, uh, there's something pleasant and right then there's like a, you know, you go in the line and you see uh, by the corner of your eye as you take the plate, dessert, you know? I mean, I know we're like, professional meditator and these things don't happen to us but once in a while this kind of stuff can happen and and you see and you see right away the mind starts strategizing leave space in plate grab second plate before going count number of cakes divided by number of yogis all these different variations you know and defend, you know, like you see somebody's already like starting with dessert, you know, and there's a judgment that cuts, you know, we don't do this, you know, <laughs> etc. The whole range that uh, you can see. Or sitting on the cushion, there's some, suddenly you get into some kind of a flow, you know, there's a, uh, some, uh, some ease, like the mindfulness becomes kind of by default, or there's a, the, some kind of um, some kind of spiritual uh, joy that comes in, and right away there's like yeah, you know, and uh, sometimes it's a, a grasping, clinging. Sometimes it's an owning. Right away the mind positions itself. You know, it's like this is moi. You know, this this suddenly it's, it says something about me. There's a, the me appears, and you see in this construction that there was no me before the grasping. That's something I find interesting. So there's breathing, then there is some uh, beautiful state of mind, there's grasping, and the result is I am like this. I want to keep. So in uh, French and in English, we start the sentences with I. I love this. But the real order should be, you know, this, love, and I is born at the end of the line, you know. The eye is a kind of a result of the grasping mind. So that happens. This is in the present time, but the same happens uh, also when we think of uh, the past, something that was uh, pleasant in the past. So we, we kind of try to get it back, you know. We try to make the memory uh, kind of... Uh, vivid again or the feeling or how we felt we try to so we're hooked to the pleasantness uh, of the past we like to re um, uh, think about it there's this melancholy it's in the past days it was so pleasant and we do this with the future also when we start fantasizing so i have a little story that i like to tell here so one time i was on my cushion sitting in meditation at that time, I was traveling a lot from center to center. I was a Dharma bum. And uh, 
I think I took a little break from my mindfulness, uh, maybe inadvertently. And uh, I was uh, I, I was having a fantasy about um, about living, uh, buying a car. I didn't have a car, and I had this idea. I should actually buy a car. It would be easier to go from center to center. <laughs> and I could actually live in my car. You know, I, I would have all my little things. I don't have many things. They would fit on the back seat. I could, you know, bring the stuff in front when I sleep in, sleep in the back. And, and, and anyway, so I was kind of going on uh, with this uh, little uh, story in my mind. And then I, because of a prior few minutes earlier, my moments of mindfulness, because of these prior moments of mindfulness, suddenly there was another moment of mindfulness that arise, arose. What is going on here? You know, Oh, thinking, dreaming is happening. But in that little second of coming back, what I just caught was something about feeling tone. I realized that in my fantasy, everything was pleasant. There was no unpleasantness there. It was a made-up world of, that is unlike the real world where there is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. In my fantasy, even when the car was broken in my fantasy, <laughs> I happened to be uh, wearing my sunglasses in a des desert in Utah, you know, while an old man, very friendly and uh, character, was fixing my car and telling me stories, and I was just hanging out. And the world was really, it was a pleasant thing that my car was broken. And so I just saw for a second that there was really, what, delusion maybe there about feeling tones. And I got interested in that and could see that uh, I would do the same with uh, un unpleasant, that when I would rehash something from the past, or if uh, there was something uh, unpleasant about somebody that I was thinking of, I would make everything unpleasant. I would not allow pleasantness. There was an attachment to keeping a version of the unpleasant going. And so here I am talking about unpleasant. Let's go a little further and talk about this resistant, uh, resistance obsession that is obsessed with unpleasant feeling tone when there is a lack of uh, wisdom for unwise being. Um, and so uh, there's actually two tendencies that get activated in the face of unpleasant. That's very interesting. So uh, the Buddha says, when an unwise being meets with unpleasant, there is a wanting to avoid it, destroy it, get rid of it, uh, fear uh, of it. Yeah? Um, and also, because the unwise being doesn't know any other uh, way towards happiness, any other escape from the unpleasant, the unwise being then not only resists the unpleasant, but starts looking for pleasantness. So two tendencies are activated. So when the second one, ah, this is boring, let me look for something stimulating and pleasant, uh, is triggered, then uh, this obsession with pleasant also is uh, nourished again. So it's kind of a, um, a vicious uh, circle that starts. 
So these are the tendencies. Um, and with neutral feeling, uh, the tendency that is activated is of ignorance, missing, avoid, uh, 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 just not noticing. And when you think that most of the contacts that we have through the five, six senses are uh, rather neutral in life, that shows maybe how much of it we're actually missing. So to get just a little bit more specific about this, um, this uh, pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality, I found different version of, uh, of uh, to explain uh, where it is found in the senses. So, just uh, in the Abhidhamma, it says that of the five senses, uh, only the sense of touch has inherent in it pleasant or unpleasant. So, if you burn yourself, it's unpleasant. It's not uh, a preference. If you cut yourself. So, and it is said, so in the Abhidhamma, that the other senses, touch, uh, not touch, but smell, taste, uh, sounds, and sight, are not, uh, there's no inherent pleasant or unpleasant in it. I find very, this very interesting in, for practice, to go and check how is that true or not in my experience. So it means that a sound, for example, is not inherently pleasant or unpleasant. It's a question of preference, culture, education, a whole other sets of conditions that are uh, mental uh, things. So it's, it's the perception of it that, uh, that is unpleasant or pleasant. So it means that punk music is not inherently unpleasant. <laughs> It's a question of taste. Yeah. Um, so is that true in your experience? Because I've been curious about it, trying to see sometimes uh, the loudness, for example, of something. It actually feels uh, inherently, not a question of choice, but harmful, like almost like very close to the sense of touch, actually. Uh, Shinzen Young, a teacher, says that in his understanding of uh, the feeling tone, says that for him, uh, in his understanding, taste and smell are actually a, a more refined version of touched, of touch. So they have inherent, there are some tastes that are inherently unpleasant for everyone. It's not a question of education or culture. He says another thing that is very interesting. Uh, in the Abhidhamma, feeling tone is uh, mainly uh, so mental, yeah? And he says that for him, when he observes the mind, the images and words are actually, uh, don't uh, have in the mind a feeling tone. For example, if you see uh, in your mind an horrible image, the image is kind of neutral in a way, but there's a physical unpleasantness 
or pleasantness that arise in the body. Very interesting to me. On the other end, in the suttas, sometimes you can read that it says that uh, there is uh, sights that are unpleasant, and it doesn't say that it's a, a mind uh, thing that happens. I can see for myself that sometimes there is a, something that is pleasant, uh, let's say physically pleasant, but there's an idea about what is going on that is unpleasant. So that's what we call, I think, guilty pleasures. No? So there's something you're doing, like having the third cookie, for example. It's pleasant, but the relationship with what is happening. So at the physical level, it might be pleasant, but there's something in it uh, that is unpleasant. It's the self-judgment or opinion that we have about it. Anyways, to me, it starts to show how unreliable and quickly changing these feeling tones are. And that's the invitation also in the practice of the Satipatthana Sutta, is to notice uh, the the feeling tones and how quickly they change. Another thing that is, uh, can be noticed also is that, uh, so the pleasant, uh, the, the feeling tone is in the, in the contact, in the meeting of the object, the ear and the consciousness. So it, often we blame the object. That's what we tend to, to do. Huh? We blame the object for what is going on. And the invitation is to come back and say, no, actually, it's not about the object if it's unpleasant. And if it's pleasant, we're really attached to this. This is what is making me happy. No, what is making me happy is the feeling tone of pleasantness. It can be found in many other places. It's not about the, this very object. If it was the object, it would be always uh, providing the same uh, amount of pleasure. One example is someone uh, is stroking your hair. So someone you love is stroking your hair. Very pleasant. Five hours later, <laughs> the person is still stroking your hair. You see the feeling tone has changed, but the object itself hasn't changed. So again, for me, it's showing how unreliable this is. Because you think, yeah, this thing works for me. It provides pleasantness. And yet, no, not this time, or not at this hour. Or it's very extremely, uh, it's actually impossible to control uh, uh, the, the feeling tone. That's what we find out, and this is very liberating. So when we f start to find this out, there's a, I could say the word relaxation around, the, but it's also like the, the destruction of expectation around feeling tone, the disenchantment, the dispassion around the feeling tone. So uh, these were the reactions of the unwise being, and it said that, so what happens when a wise being has feeling tone? Because feeling tone doesn't go away, it stays around. And it doesn't have to go away. It's the reactivity that
that is really the source of the suffering. And so it's important in, in practice to start to make the difference between one and the other. Because they get very much mixed uh, together. But the, un, the wise being, it says that uh, when there's a painful uh, or unpleasant feeling tone, uh, there's no resistance because there's a deep knowing that this is going to pass. Yeah? So let me come back to Dhammadina in uh, Visaka. So I can't remember the exact question is asking her, but hey, tell me more. Let's say that he says that. And uh, she says, um, well, when uh, pleasantness ends, it's unpleasant. And when unpleasantness ends, it's pleasant. It, I mean, it looks like nothing. But the kind of uh, little almost joke in there is that they both contain each other. They both contain both. So we kind of get really excited about pleasant and uh, uh, depressed, despondent, or very activated when we face unpleasant, but they contain the other. Yeah? So a wise being kind of knows that. So knowing the uncontrollability, the impermanence, the shakiness, the instability, of a feeling tone, when he meets with unpleasant, he doesn't react with resistance, fear, anger, rejection. Nor does he start looking for an escape in pleasure, because he knows of another escape uh, uh, from the unpleasant. And also, uh, the wise being doesn't avoid, miss out on neutral. And uh, so here's another bit that she says with this. With, when pleasant passes, uh, it's unpleasant. When unpleasant passes, it's pleasant. Listen to this one. When neutral feeling tone, uh, is met without knowledge or understanding, It's unpleasant. And when neutral feeling tone is met with knowledge, it's pleasant. This gets very intriguing here. And so one way that I see this play out in practice is that first time I sit and somebody gives me instruction about the breath, the first time or the first two years maybe, I'm kind of bored. It's like, there's nothing to it, this breath. It's so neutral. Much prefer to rehash old painful stories <laughs> or worry about the future because there's nothing in there. So this is a neutral feeling tone met with no understanding, no knowledge, no mindfulness. Yet, when it, the mindfulness gets refined, then suddenly this neutral feeling tone of the breath that comes from the breath, suddenly it's like, hmm, 
becomes pleasant. There's something either intriguing about it, or the fact that it's changing and passing all the time, either the physical sensation or the consciousness that knows the breath, suddenly it becomes uh, pleasant, the pleasantness of uh, insight. Yeah. So that's one way that I see this um, playing out. Another way maybe would be uh, when, we, uh, when there's some peace of mind that is uh, happening the beginning we don't recognize it we we might say like hey what should i do now you know what's next you know or, or we just miss on it and when the mind gets more quiet and refined and there is understanding and, and con full consciousness suddenly we can start to savor this uh, peace there So for the wise one, uh, some of the similes that come uh, here are uh, the simile of the wind. The Buddha said, you know there's all kinds of winds. There's dry winds and wet winds and winds that carry dust and winds that uh, are cold and winds that are hot. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be foolish for somebody to start messing around with winds, like, oh, I want it to be cold, you know, and try to rearrange wind. I said, it's the same thing with feeling tone. It comes because of particular conditions, and it doesn't stay. So there's no point in contending, is that the word, with uh, uh, the feeling tones, as there is no point in contending with wind. Another image is this, uh, the one of the guest house, saying, you know in the guest house, uh, many kinds of people come. Some rich people, poor people, some of the warrior caste, some of the untouchable caste, some of the uh, servant caste, uh, some people happy, unhappy, all kinds of people. And so uh, it is the same with the feeling tone. This body-mind process, these six senses, are visited by uh, these different uh, guests. And they all come and end up passing. And so the wise one uh, knows that. So at the time of the Buddha, there was kind of two major ways to deal with these feeling tones. There was one where you would actually indulge. Happiness was believed to be found in pleasantness. Sounds familiar? <laughs> but I'm just talking about the time of the Buddha. That's a long time ago. So, uh, so there was this idea of indulge in it, find it, uh, try to maximize uh, pleasant in our lives and avoid the unpleasant. So that was one version. Another version was to, uh, to actually uh, welcome, invite, and produce as much unpleasantness 
as possible because there was this belief that un, uh, provoking difficult uh, um, experience of the six senses would actually uh, help us use our uh, bad karma. So there was a storehouse of bad karma and uh, doing the mortification, self-mortification practices would help reduce uh, this. And the Buddha tried actually both uh, for a while, found out that the indulgence was, uh, was actually uh, wear, wearing, like all this sex, drug, and rock and roll was really <laughs> getting on him. And on the other side, uh, on the other side, uh, the mortification was the, the end result of mortification was death. So it was not obviously not working. And uh, and then he had this moment that you know about under the rose apple tree. Uh, actually, remembered uh, being a kid uh, sitting under a rose apple tree, and he remembered that there was actually. Um, some pleasantness that was there of a special kind, kind of a full of presence and contentment. There was a pleasantness that was not uh, with clinging, with addiction. It was not busy uh, pushing away the unpleasant or there was a, this pleasantness of, uh, in a way, a simple, complete, uh, satisfying presence uh, that was not hiding reality, but highlighting it. Uh, and then he figured out that, actually, pleasantness was not to be avoided and not to be grasped at, but that it was actually welcome on the path. And then at this point, his practice started to really change his search geared in a different direction. And uh, this was the beginning of the middle path. And so there's a, so I talked up to now to, about this division of uh, the threefold division of feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And now we're Dividing this, or multiplying this by two, I could say. We're entering another uh, division. It's this, I could say, the six-fold division, where there is some entangling pleasures, pleasant exper experience, and there are some liberating pleasant experience, onward leading, beneficial on the path. Same with unpleasant. He found out that there was actually some unpleasant uh, feeling tones that would lead uh, to entanglement and stress, and some that would actually lead towards release, towards uh, knowledge, insight, and uh, release. And same with the neutral feeling tone, that there was two variety, two, yeah, is that the word? garden variety, something like this, of neutral, some that were uh, uh, entangling and some that were liberating. 
So, whoops, there's a whole different picture here. And so we have to be attentive suddenly because uh, it's either leading in one direction or the other. And so, um, so in a basic way, we could say that, yeah, I could say this, that those uh, met, feeling tones met with mindfulness suddenly becomes liberating. Because if there is, for example, the unpleasantness of anger is present, which unmet with mindfulness would just perpetuate itself. Because anger is unpleasant, so it brings up even more anger and more memories of ang uh, unpleasant things, and it, it just you know, spirals down. And when anger suddenly is met with mindfulness, it's still unpleasant. But wisdom is a possibility here. There can be an opening. Yeah? That's for unpleasant. Maybe for pleasant. Well, there is a whole series that we find out that the path is full of pleasant, liberating experiences, such as contentment, joy, uh, spiritual joy, like pity, uh, an experience of generosity, calm. Uh, there's a sukha, kind of happiness that is pleasant, that is uh, liberating. So where the Buddha is uh, so clever is, uh, what a clever guy. is to actually kind of take uh, what is pleasurable, uh, some of the pleasurable and in, invite it, kind of rain it, gather it, and make it in the service of finding uh, liberation. And actually, it's not only welcome on the path, but a necessity. It says in many places in the text, without this joy, there's no contentment. There's, there's always these kind of links of uh, joy leads to happiness, leads to calm, leads to concentration, leads to clear seeing, leads to vision, leads to uh, release. Huh? So uh, there is space for it. That there is a necessity for, uh, for the pleasantness on the spiritual path. If I talk about neutral, then what is neutral and liberating? So when there is neutral and we, there's no mindfulness, no, uh, we miss it. So it just leads to more delusion and ignorance of the world and how the world functions. But if there is uh, uh, attention to it, then we can enter whatever phenomena is happening that is neutral and try to get in there and get to know it, deconstruct it, possibly. But the other uh, neutral uh, feeling tone that is, uh, we could say, spiritual, in the text, often it's these two are, you'll see them uh, translated as worldly uh, uh, feeling tone and unworldly spiritual feeling tone. So the neutral one, it's not neutral because of the blandness of the object. That's how it is in our regular life. If we, something is neutral, it's because it's kind of bland to us. It doesn't stand out. Uh, 
when uh, the mind gets refined, it's actually the equanimity, the mind, that brings the neutrality. So, uh, so it comes from the mind that really meets the object with, a, we could say, a, a peace or a calm or in an unperturbed way. So it's the mind that provides. In the spiritual feeling tones, much of them are provided by the mind. You can see that contentment, generosity, they don't come from uh, something you receive from the outside. They're, they're inner generated. Yeah? So the neutral feeling tone uh, is like this. So there's one, uh, uh, one king who was uh, describing uh, the monks of the Buddha and how, why he liked them. Because he was saying they're smiling, they're cheerful. They're sincerely joyful and plainly delighting, living at ease. Yeah? So that was his description. And he was comparing them to other monks that look really dull and depressed. So for him, that was a sign that there was something working on this path. In one text, uh, uh, the Buddha talks about uh, this kind of refinement of uh, feeling tones. And he says, so one will replace the unpleasant worldly feeling tone by the unpleasant unworldly feeling tone. So it means we'll go from feeling something of the sixth sense, being unpleasant and being annoyed by it, to actually feeling something that is unpleasant, but because we can uh, see the impermanence of it, the instability of it, the dis disappearance of it, then uh, what it brings is a longing for liberation, this longing for liberation, the Buddha said, is painful, but it's a good painful. Yeah? So he said, so it's a good thing to go from uh, worldly unpleasant to, un to spiritual unpleasant. Same with the pleasantness. He says, go from the pleasantness that is of the world to the pleasantness that is uh, liberating. And this one, he says, it's, uh, it's when you see that the pleasantness is passing, it's it's unreliable and you get joyful about it. That's a different stage in practice. Instead of uh, having the longing for liberation and finding it uh, painful, there's a joy when we have the joy of insight, it's known as. Yeah? When we see like, God, it's really passing. It's amazing and there's a joy in it. And then he says, go from the neutral uh, feeling tone of, of missing the world to the, the neutrality of equanimity, where the passing of stuff, the, the fragility, ephemeralness of it, the uncontrollability, uh, and the fact that it's impossible to own brings uh, steadiness in the mind and, and uh, equanimity in the mind. Okay, so there's this invitation for this movement. And there's another invitation where he says, and in your spiritual practice, what you'll do is you'll have this unpleasant longing 
that comes from seeing how unstable everything is, then at some point you'll replace this, this whole unpleasantness of the longing, you'll replace this for the joy of seeing the truth of no security, no place to hold, nothing to own, nothing to identify uh, or describe oneself as. Yeah? He said, this is going to uh, bring pleasantness. And then you'll re even this one is going to pass and you'll end up with just one. It's the neutral feeling tone, where there's the same seeing of these three characteristics, but the mind is equanimous about it. And I, you can see the dance. If you get interested in this in your practice, you'll see the dance. So just before we started uh, talking, us, <laughs> me talking, but <laughs> um, I was sitting here and there was a kind of cool air coming in my nostril. And for a second, really felt the pleasantness of the coolness hitting the side of the nostrils. And in the next second, there was the seeing that the, this was passing, the consciousness, the knowing of, the, of the, the, the freshness was known and gone, known and gone, that there was a newness to it. And then there was a joy that arose, like, wow. So I, I, and in the second, and then I remembered, and a few weeks ago when I was talking about satya, I was, I was saying mindfulness has this ability to make us remember uh, wisdom that we hardly know. And then just in that moment I saw, oh, look, I saw in a second going from the pleasantness of coldness, the worldly pleasantness, to the spiritual pleasantness of seeing something arise and pass. But I was unable to generate the neutral spiritual feeling tone of equanimity. I was truly happy about this. So maybe just a couple of minutes, just to maybe bring a, a different subject. I won't have time to go much into it, but um, so there's these uh, tendency that I talked about and that we know of being, you know, rejecting the unpleasant and uh, all these. But it goes much further than this. The Buddha talked often about views and opinions in relationship to feeling tone. And that is a very sobering practice to actually look at our views and opinions in terms of feeling tone. So, let's say uh, the example that comes to mind is uh, is uh, of watching the news on TV. I would have liked to find something of retreat-like, but hey, I have no control over this mind. <laughs> so that's what it's providing for me right now. So there's the images of uh, war uh, on TV at the news channel. And suddenly I see myself having an opinion about war. And if I stop 
and look clearly in that moment where is my opinion coming from? Maybe I can see that actually the images were unpleasant and suddenly my opinion is not such a noble opinion of being against war and for peace. It's actually a rejection of, a, of an unpleasant image. It doesn't mean it's always like this, that uh, it's always this reason why somebody would be against uh, war and for peace. But that's just one of the tricky examples of the mind uh, and opinion. And uh, there was a, uh, a man at the Supreme Court of the United States who said uh, that about 99% of the decisions that are made in the Supreme Court are actually based on feeling tone. Something is unpleasant to think of. And so, and then there's a whole months of working on justifying and rationalizing this feeling tone of, uh, and put it into an opinion. So, um, one thing to do with views of an opinion is to uh, treat them like uh, any other phenomena that arises in the mind. And uh, I would say, put them in the Four Noble Truth machine. So you have a view, an opinion about something. Uh, treat, let's treat them with the Four Noble Truth. Is this view, is there a, a suffering in this view? Is there because there's clinging in there? Yeah? And what's the possible release of it? And the path. The path could be a link to the feeling tone. The Buddha said that uh, actually a, a right view, an opinion, uh, is one that doesn't uh, bring more clinging and uh, where we don't get attached. So he's even talking about uh, not holding anything as the supreme. There's a place where he, uh, he says, have dispassion for obsession, have even dispassion for dispassion. Nothing she grasps at as supreme, nothing upheld as the highest. And we see as uh, spiritual seekers, Buddhist, Theravada Buddhist, that sometimes we have these opinions of what is true and what is untrue, and uh, you know, my path is better. And, and so it's very important to uh, keep an eye on this uh, the, the clinging there and the, uh, yeah so anyway I touched just a little bit on this uh, uh, feeling tone and views uh, I tried to do this quickly
And so a beautiful area of investigation, actually extremely powerful. Uh, it's so unstable that if somebody is to put their attention just on this, it will reveal a lot. Uh, the Buddha said that can lead you, that can be like the highway to liberation, this attention just to feeling tone in a very precise uh, way. So the instructions are to recognize them, the three of them. Neutral feeling tone is not easy to recognize. It's said that uh, it's a little bit like when you follow a deer in the woods. You see the traces when it's pleasant and unpleasant, it's very clear. And when the deer gets on some rocks, you, you don't know where the deer is anymore. So if in your practice you're not sure which feeling tone it is, it's because you've just tapped onto neutral. Yeah? So, uh, so learn to recognize them in the threefold division and then get interested maybe in the sixfold division. And another very powerful place also is to make the difference between the actual unpleasantness and the reactivity. Because these are two things, the, the feeling tone and the obsession that is triggered. And that's something that we uh, want to pay attention to. All this to find uh, the end of an enslavement, because that's pretty much what it's about, enslavement and freedom. And, uh, and I wish everybody good luck with this. Yeah. So let's take a moment and just watch, to watch these feeling tones. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.